The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. <clears throat> well, we, uh, a couple years ago, were at our home. It was actually just me, uh, home alone. It was relatively early in the morning. I had just gotten up and was eating breakfast, just sitting in my house. And uh, as I was there eating breakfast, I hear this banging, pounding on my door and uh, my heart rate skyrockets. I'm like, what is happening? And so I run to the door, and at the door is actually my landlord, um, and she's saying, fire, fire, there's a fire in our backyard, fire! Grab your shoes and get out of here! And I'm like, what is happening? And then she just leaves, she just leaves. She gives you that news and then leaves, goes away. And I just think, what am I supposed to do? My house had never been on fire before. I was never, not used to the situation. I wasn't trained. I thought like, do I stop, drop, and roll? What happens right now? What am I supposed to do? Do I go grab my birth certificate? Where do I do? Like, my house is on fire. And so uh, I just listened to what she said. I put on my shoes and I grab my bag by the door and I run outside. And I go out to the street in front of my house. And as I'm standing out there, uh, I'm seeing just black smoke just kick up behind our home. And I'm thinking a couple things. One, as I'm sitting there with all my neighbors, I'm thinking, well, I really hope my house doesn't burn down. And then the second thing was, I really wish I wasn't in my PJs right now. And I wish I would have brushed my teeth because this is uncomfortable. And I'm just sitting there with all my neighbors and we're like, I don't know what's gonna happen. And in a matter of minutes, it was actually really impressive, really quickly, um, the firefighters showed up. And so they roll up with their trucks and they, Uh, go to the backyard and they have their water and they have their hoses. And after a couple of minutes, that black smoke lightens and turns to gray smoke. And eventually uh, that cloud of smoke just kind of turns into a trickle. And after uh, a while, after they checked it all out, uh, they came out front. They said, hey, everything's under control. Like, everything's okay. You guys are good. You can can go back in. And uh, so I went back in uh, went back into my house and we had to go check out the damage, right? We wanted to go see what happened. So we actually went in the backyard. Uh, I took a picture. This was my backyard of where I used to live at the time. Have it for you. This is what it looked like. Um, and it was just, that was just a couple of minutes, right? We used to have a fence there and now it's gone, right? That shed used to have like a siding on it and it's, it's gone. And what had happened was uh, our neighbors uh, behind that fence that was their shed, and I guess they had left some like oily rags or something in there and somehow caught a blaze and, and almost burned down our house, right? And what I was amazed at when I went back there and saw the damage was just how quickly that fire burned everything down and how all-consuming it was. Just to have like those empty holes in the fence was amazing to me, right? I had never, like my house had never been on fire. My, I'd never seen that before, right? And it just was like all gone, all consumed, all licked up in the flames. I tell you that story because we're going through this series on on spiritual warfare. And the verse that we're looking at today talks about the strategies of our enemy. And the the strategy, one of the strategies of our enemy is to burn up our faith. Like use the fiery darts of the evil one to burn up our faith and just burn our faith to the ground. And I'm really honored to preach this message um, and preach this verse with you because I think we have all experienced this in our lives. Either personally, there's been a time in your life where you say, hey, I used to feel so close to God. 
I used to have this like close relationship and feel his presence. And I used to pray and be really involved in church. And then something happened. And, and now it just feels like nothing's there. Or maybe even more disheartening is maybe there's someone that you've walked with in your life, maybe a family member or a friend, someone you're close to. And man, they, they believed. They had a real faith. They had a thriving faith. And then something happened. And as years went by, it, that faith just kind of died. It just kind of burned down. There's just nothing there anymore. And this passage that we're going to look at today shows us the tactics of our enemy and also how we can protect ourselves from the enemy burning down our faith. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up with me to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. Uh, we've been working our way through this chapter together, and we're going to start today in verse 10. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 says this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So if you haven't been with us the past few weeks, we're talking about spiritual warfare. And the Bible teaches us that even though our culture kind of dismisses the unseen, our culture is more focused on the physical and the material. The Bible tells us that there is spiritual warfare going on. Whether we believe in it or not, it's happening and you're in it. And the Bible even goes so far as to say that if you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, you have an enemy. But this passage today that we're looking at, um, one called the evil one. We know him from other names in scripture, other places he's called Satan, the accuser, the father of lies, and in this passage, the evil one. And we know from the Bible that the, the goal and the, the driving force of the evil one is to tear down our faith. He's seeking to devour and destroy. He is seeking to burn up all allegiance to God, all faith in Jesus, and all sort of a uh, uh, community of faith in, in following after the Lord. He wants to tear it all down. If you've ever um, maybe watched a, a basketball game and you've seen how one team is really far ahead, you know, blowing out the other team and it gets near the end of the game and it's just an insurmountable lead. And then you might see a player on the losing team start like throwing elbows or hitting people or pushing people around. And they now say, oh, that's a, that's a frustration foul, right? Like the game's over, they've lost and now they're just kind of raging, right? It's similar to the story that we see in scripture of um, the devil, right? We see that uh, Jesus on the cross secured ultimate victory for his people, that Jesus promises that one day 
he will return and establish his kingdom here on earth. And that one day he will fully and finally and completely defeat evil, the evil one, sin, and death. And so the battle has been won, but we're waiting for the fulfillment of that victory. And so in the meantime, the devil uses his limited power and limited authority here on earth to rage and tear down whatever sort of faith and whatever sort of hope we can have in this life. That's his mission. That's what he's after. So this passage, Ephesians 6.16, talks about the evil one and says that he has flaming darts, flaming darts of the evil one, fiery darts, fiery arrows, depending on your translation, that he shoots at us, the believers. What are the flaming darts of the evil one? That again, if you read through scripture and you read through the Bible, you see that there are common tactics that the enemy takes to tear down our belief and allegiance to Jesus. So there's a couple things that he uses. The common tactics of the enemy, if you read throughout scripture, the first of which is persecution. That he uses persecution to tear down our faith, our hope, our belief in the Lord. That he uses the influence he has and he turns people that he can to turn against the people of God, to oppress them, to attack them, to use their power to persecute the church. Think of how the devil schemed in the time of Jesus, that he walked into Jerusalem, hailed as a king and celebrated, and by the end of that week, the devil had turned the crowds against him and they executed Jesus. Think about the early church, how often the apostles would show up to a place and they would preach Jesus the freedom, the good news of what Jesus has done, his death on the cross, conquering sin and death, his resurrection from the dead. And then what would happen is the crowds would turn against them and they would be imprisoned or beaten or kicked out of town or even sometimes killed for their faith. We know that that actually still happens in our world today, that there are places in our world today that following after Jesus, you risk imprisonment, physical harm, or maybe even death to gather and worship him. Now for us, I mean, no one would argue that our country's culture is godly. And I know there's pushback um, to Christian belief, but we're, we're in actually a pretty hospitable culture for us, right? You were able to drive here today um, you weren't worried about getting arrested as you entered through the doors. We're able to gather in public, open, and celebrate and worship Jesus. We're able to live out our faith in our, in our everyday lives openly without fear of harm. But we know that that's not the story for the Christian church. And we know that it's not the norm for the Christian church. And actually, persecution is something that the enemy uses to destroy God's church. Now think about the tactic here, right? What's his, what's his motive? The enemy's motive is to make following after Jesus so costly, so scary, so frightening, and so painful that people consider, well, is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it to, to put my life on the line and follow after Jesus? Or would I be better off abandoning him and keeping my life here comfortable, harm-free, right? Again, if the, what the Bible says is true, if Satan will ultimately be defeated, if Jesus will reign, which we believe he will, that he is and will do, 
if Jesus will establish his everlasting kingdom here on earth, his eternal kingdom, then the only way the people of God, Christians, lose and miss out on that, the only way they lose out on the victory is if they abandon Jesus. And so the, the evil one, the enemy, his tactic is to make it so hard and so difficult to follow after Jesus in this life that you abandon, you miss out on God's coming secured victory, right? That's his tactic, right? Second tactic of the evil one that we see, the second fiery dart of the evil one is temptation, the temptation to sin. If you read throughout scripture, you will see that the devil and his army use temptation as a pull, an alluring pull to pull followers of Jesus, followers of God, godly people away from their faith, away from their relationship with the Lord. Think about Jesus. He was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. And we know this, like if you've lived any sort of life, you know that you're tempted. You might've been a Christian for a really long time, but you still feel tempted to sin. It's a tactic of the evil one. He makes sin so alluring and it's so tempting that he draws us to walk through the doorway of sin. And he promises us that, hey, if you indulge in this, if you take part in this, you're gonna feel so much better. It'll bring you so much joy so much pleasure, so much happiness. And he lures us through. And as we go and we participate and indulge in sin on the other side, he hammers us with shame and guilt and lies. And so you go and you think, hey, this is gonna bring me joy. This is gonna bring me happiness and pleasure. And then as you go and participate in it, on the other side, what you receive are these thoughts in your head saying, you're not a real Christian. A person who really loved the Lord would never do that. He tries to isolate us and say, you're the only one going through this. You see, when you come on Sunday mornings, these people aren't dealing with this, it's only you. If they knew what you did, they wouldn't want you around. They would reject you. And it makes us feel like, hey, you can't even do this. You can't even follow after the Lord, so why try? There's no way you can overcome this. You're trapped. And he uses these lies. And what's the hope, again, is to get us to to give up and say, why? I can't defeat him. We believe the lies. I can't win. Maybe I'm not part of God's family. And then we give up and we walk away. The only way we lose is if we quit. The third tactic of the evil one, and probably the biggest one I see in our lives, that all of us have been around, is that the enemy uses tragedy to sap our strength. He uses trials of the world to pull us away from Jesus. This is an illness. This is the loss of a family member. This is a broken relationship. This is some terrible tragedy that hits our lives. And then the enemy uses it and twists it to pull us away from the Lord. Many of you have stories like this, or you know of people who have stories like this, who say, man, I was, I was a Christian. Like I believed, I was walking with the Lord. I was close to him. And then this happened in my life. I got this diagnosis or this tragedy happened and I lost this person. 
And just as I wrestled with it, it was so painful and so hard that I just started to think, man, why would God let this happen to me? There's no reason. And, and if God were really there, he wouldn't have let this happen to me. And if God were really good, he would do something about it, but he didn't. And the enemy feeds us these lies and he attacks our faith so that it just burns down to the ground. It's the same tactic over and over and over again, is that he uses either temptation or persecution or tragedy or trial in our life to then bring discouragement where life seems really hard. And if you know something about the enemy and you know something about tragedy, what you find, and I love the way uh, Pastor Roby shares this with us a lot as a staff and other people have said it, is that the enemy doesn't fight fair, right? He piles on. And you think, man, I, I could handle this at once, right? Like I could handle this, this problem at work and this financial difficulty, but then I've also got this problem at home. And then I've also got this problem with my health. And it's like my whole world's crashing down at once, right? It's all happening at once. And you get overwhelmed and discouraged. And you think, where, where's God? God, why aren't you doing something? And the enemy uses this discouragement to lead us to doubt, to lead us to turn away from the Lord. This is his tactic. This is what he does. And I think it's really appropriate that the Apostle Paul talks about it and uses the term a flaming arrow, a fiery dart, because that was used military, uh, uh, in militaries during that time. When an army would go and attack a city, yes, they would shoot fiery arrows at the enemy troops, at the enemy soldiers, but a lot of times they would turn their archers and their fiery arrows into the city itself. And they would fire these flaming darts into the city where they would land on homes and they would catch fire. And think about the effect that would have on the army, right? You're going out, you're, you're going in front of your city to defend your city from the enemy. And as you're getting ready to fight the enemy, you turn around and you see the city that you're fighting for and your family's home on fire and burning down, and it just pulls away your will to fight. It's the same tactic the enemy does. He just attacks us and discourages us and brings such doubt that we think like, oh, what's, what's even the point anymore? Like, what am I fighting for? And then we look at what remains of our faith and it's gone. Like a fire has consumed it. It's just gone and it can happen quickly. So what do we do? If that's you, if that's a friend of yours, if that's a family member, what do you do in that situation when your allegiance to Jesus and your hope in him has burned to the ground? Well, it's in this that the Apostle Paul says that we are to pick up the shield of faith. The shield of faith. And probably what the Apostle Paul had in mind at this time is probably the Roman shield, right? That was popular at the time. It's called the Roman scuda. It's a fun word. And uh, the Roman army used this shield. It was really popular. I think we have a picture of it. We can show it. Um, there you go. You've probably seen depictions of that before, the Roman scooter. This is a, a really famous formation that the Romans invented. 
uh, called the testudo formation, which is Latin for tortoise, uh, the tortoise formation. And basically these shields, you know, covered your whole body. They're like four and a half feet long, two and a half feet wide. And they would uh, be made out of wood and then covered with, with leather or some other cloth and with metal on the edges. And then legend has it that when they were fighting an enemy that would use flames, that even the Roman soldiers would even dip the shield in water and the Roman legions would then carry them and link together. And they won several battles this way. They conquered the world with this sort of formation using these shields. And this is the image that the apostle Paul says for us that when we face the fiery darts of the evil one, that we would pick up our shield of faith. So when we are attacked with discouragement and doubt, the weapon that we use is faith. Now, this might seem like a dumb question. What is faith? Like we talk about it a lot, right? Have faith. Hold on to your faith, stand firm in the faith. What is faith? Because in our culture, it kind of seems as like, maybe like a trite thing, like, oh, things are tough. Hey man, have faith, it's gonna get better. Things are really hard. Hey, hold on to your faith, be faithful. God's gonna come through. And it just becomes this idea that like, oh, it's just something I gotta, I gotta do. Like something I gotta find, something that's within me that I gotta build up. Well, the Bible describes faith Famously in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is belief in what we cannot see. Faith is belief in what we hope for. And if you read throughout the rest of scripture, faith is belief primarily in God and in his promises. Faith is belief in God that he is there and belief in his promises, that he is good, that he is working all things together for us, that one day he will conquer evil, that one day he will end sin and death. That is what faith is. The reformers uh, famously explained faith in a couple ways. It is, it is this idea of, of knowledge, that we know who God is, it's another step of intellectual assent that we agree that that's true. But the book of James tells us, well, to believe that God is real and then to agree that he's really out there, and even the demons believe that and shudder. But that third piece is what the reformers would call a trusting love of God, that there's an affection for God and that there is a trust that he will come through and that he will deliver on his promises, that he is there and that he will do what he says. So then the question is, how do I build that in my life? How do I have faith, especially when the flaming darts of the evil one are burning everything down around me? How am I supposed to have faith that God is there that he is still on his throne and that he will work all things out together for my good when everything around me has burned down. For many of us, okay, you maybe come from a different um, religion or a different worldview or maybe a different branch of Christianity where faith was put on your shoulders 
And you were told faith is something that you must find within yourself. That faith is something you must muster up. Faith is something you must tell yourself like a mantra and repeat. Faith is something you must convince yourself of. That God is there, that God is good, that he is real. And that in times of doubt and in times of hardship, you just need to have more faith. You just need to look deeper within yourself and bring that faith up and out. And I'm telling you, no, that is not what the Bible says. That is not where faith comes from. In this letter alone, the Apostle Paul said, faith is a gift of God from God that none should boast. In Romans 10, he says, faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God, that we actually find faith and our faith is strengthened actually externally, outside of ourselves. We need to go to God, not within, to find faith. So we do a couple things, right? One is we go to his word, right? We spend time in his scriptures and we're reminded of who God is. We're reminded of his promises. We're reminded of his character. We're reminded of what he's done. And then the second way we strengthen our faith is through remembering. I love this about the Bible and I think we forget it so much in our culture. But the way we build up our faith is we remember what God has done. Think about like Old Testament, right? Think about Israel, okay? Think about the Exodus when God parted the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land, the Passover. And then the, the sea came raging back and destroyed the Egyptian army. Do you remember that story? Have you remembered that? Maybe some of you in Sunday school, you remember that story, right? And then what God commanded them to do was that every year they would have a feast and they would celebrate and they would eat dinner together and they would remember the Passover. And they would remember how God had delivered them, how God had pulled them out of death and slavery and into life, how God had come through. Now what, can you imagine what the effects would be on that people as they would sit and remember God's deliverance year after year after year? Well, they would think, okay, if God came through then, he'll come through again. Think about the New Testament. Jesus gives us communion, right? And he says, take this and do this in remembrance of me. And that he's given us this peace, this celebration that we gather together and regularly take part in communion. And as we take part in communion, we remember his sacrifice on the cross. We remember his broken body. We remember his blood spilled for us. We remember the death that he took to save us from death itself. We remember his resurrection and how he conquered sin and death. And what it does to us is that we remember, okay, my God's come through. My God has come through in the past and it builds a faith in us that my God will come through again now, that he will come through again in the future, that God delivered on his promises. And so when he tells me that he has a place for me in his kingdom, when Jesus says, my father has a house with many rooms and there's a place for you, I can believe him. When Jesus says that one day he will return and he will bring his kingdom with no more sin, no more pain, no more death. I can believe him. He's come through before in the past. He'll come through again. You know, it's interesting about these um, shields that the Romans used is that they weren't really popular because they weren't very good 
in a one-on-one fight. They were too big and they were too bulky, right? So if you were just taking somebody on -on one-on-one, you actually couldn't move that well. And so that's not what they were designed for. But these Roman shields conquered the world because they were used together as a unit. When they would interlock them, all the soldiers, and hold them above their head, man, they could take any sort of fiery darts. They could take any sort of fire from the enemy and they could just move through it together. And the strength really of those shields lied in the community, the people, the unit working together. The Bible gives us a picture in uh, the book of Revelation that describes Satan being cast down from heaven. And then the struggle, right? He's kicked out of heaven, right? God's won the battle. And now he's here on earth and now he's fighting us. And Revelation gives us a picture of the victory of the church, the victory of God's people over the enemy. And this is what Revelation says, how it happens. Revelation 12, 11 says, they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb, the sacrifice of Jesus, and the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. Where do we find faith? We find faith in God's word and what Jesus has done, the blood of the lamb, and the word of our testimony. Your testimony is your story, what God has done in your life. And that story is powerful. This story is powerful for you, but it's powerful for us as a church, as a body. There's a reason that you were here today. Maybe God moved. Maybe God did something in your past and changed your whole life. And now you're here in church or you're watching online. But maybe it wasn't you. Maybe God moved in your family. Maybe a few generations ago, God did something and just changed the direction. Your family became Christian. You're like, we go to church now. I don't know what happened. Maybe God moved in the life of your friend and then they were on fire for the Lord and then they invited you here. Well, my challenge is to go find that story. Go find that reason. Go ask that question and hear that story. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe you just need to hear it again. Because the word of our testimony is powerful, especially in the context of community. That when I gather together and I hear hear how God has worked right through his word. And then I remember how God has worked in my life. Still those questions come up, man, do I, was he really there? Did that really happen the way I remember what? And I I question it. But then when I hear the stories of all of you, what God has done in your life, why you're here, how he's worked, man, that strengthens my faith. That gives me hope. God worked in your life. He He can work in mine. God's worked throughout the story of scripture. He, he can move again. I remember when God worked in my life. Maybe he can do it again and we find faith. It's external. It's through his word. It's through our community. So for maybe for you, you're saying, hey, that's, this is where I am. Like things have burned down around me and my faith is weak and dim. Or maybe you're thinking of a friend or a family member I think, man, I, I don't know what happened. They used to be so close to him, and now it's like there's no evidence of faith at all. 
Well, what's, what's the action step for us to take? Well, one, it's to spend time in his word, get back to his scripture, remember who God is, read those truths, read those promises, read about the goodness of God, and sure, you can go internally then, right? Urge your heart to believe. But also, it's to get with his body, his community, Share your story of God working in your life and find and hear the stories of God working in the lives of others. And let that fuel your faith, strengthen your faith so that you can hold it up to the lies and the discouragement and the doubts of the evil one. And what I love about our faith is that it is not a set of religious principles. It's not an idea or a philosophy that we follow. But as Christians, the center of our faith is a person, Jesus Christ. And when things are hard, we have a savior to go to who is not distant, who is not unloving, but a, a God who has experienced what we experience. Jesus has suffered in all the ways that we have suffered. Jesus knows what it's like to be tempted and tried. Jesus knows what it's like to be abandoned by the people you love. Jesus knows what it's like to face tragedy and trial and hardship. He says, it's no surprise if the world hates you because the world hated him. The darkness hates the light. He even promises us in scripture, we don't like to put that one on t-shirts a lot, but he promises us that in this world, you will face trouble. But take heart, for he has overcome the world. So you can go to a God, you can go to Jesus in prayer, who knows what you're going through, and let him give you strength. Let him build up your faith. And then you go to scripture and you remember what he's done and you take communion and you remember what he's done and you talk to your brothers and sisters and you hear about the faith that they have because of what he has done in their lives. And you remember that we follow a God who loved us so much that he would take all this on himself, that he would live as a human, that he would know the human experience, that he would conquer it and live it perfectly and become the author and example, the author and perfecter of our faith, that he, he would show us what it's like to live with full faith and that he would show us what it's like to overcome suffering and discouragement and doubt and the attacks of the evil one and that he would conquer him for us, and that Jesus would die on the cross for your sins and mine, so that when you're on the other side of temptation and you're feeling discouraged and you're feeling like you let down God and that there's no way he has a place for you, you can remember that our Savior paid the price for that sin on the cross. That when you feel like you're beaten down and, and persecuted and, and that the world is against you, you can remember that our God has overcome the world. And when you remember that tragedy has struck and that there's no way that good can come from it and you start to doubt and, and think through, man, what good could come from this? Think about how our God died on a cross and the world looked and said, what good can come from this? And then he rose from the dead, securing victory for us and eternal life over our sin. That's what he did. We can go to him and find our faith. So I'm going to close 
in a time of prayer um, for us today. And I would just ask that if you're someone who is going through a hard time, that the first thing you can do is to bring that struggle, that hardship, that trial to the Lord and just ask him to lift those burdens, to bring you faith and see what he can do in that situation. Let's pray. Father God, I ask that you would work in our lives. God, that you would bring comfort, that you would bring strength, that you would bring hope to my friends. That some are feeling very discouraged and life is very hard right now. God, I pray that you would enter into that space. Pray that you would remind them of your love, remind them of what you've done and remind them of how you've worked before and your promises that you will work again. God, I pray that you would strengthen our community, that they wouldn't isolate and run from it, but rather they would run to your people. God, that you would build up a great faith in us, that we could weather the storms and the fiery darts of the evil one, that our faith wouldn't burn up under the pressures and trials of this world, but that we would hold fast to you, to who you are and what you've done. And God, we would see your kingdom come. That's our hope. So Lord, we rely on you. We trust in you. Our faith is in you. God, please strengthen our faith. It's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Hey, if uh, maybe this is your first time here or your first time that you've really uh, uh, expressed faith and, and, and want to know what it's like to follow after the Lord, um, I encourage you to uh, visit us either online, cityrev.org slash faith, or just stop by um, the uh, booth on the, on, in the welcome lobby and uh, just get a Bible. We would love to just partner with you and help you as you start this journey uh, of faith. But hey, our, our confidence and our faith rests in a God who lives. And so uh, let's stand up and end our time together uh, with worship and praise. Thanks for, for listening. Service. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org. If you would like to speak to somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, you can email us at podcast at cityrev.org.